Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a short one. We're thankful for it. We're in the middle. We're actually at the end, not in the middle. We're at the end of a five-week series that we're calling Gospel Intentionality. And because we recognize that a lot of our lives are not lived with intentionality. And so we're talking about ordinary things, the things that you should be doing each and every day, and how to live those with gospel intentionality. How to be uniquely Christian in everything that you do. You know, there's a lot of talk in the church, and actually the emphasis of the church should be who you are in Christ. That is the emphasis of what we are here for. We want you to understand who you are in Christ. But who you are in Christ changes how you behave and how you act and how you live your everyday life. And so as I preach this sermon on what do you do as a Christian, do not get confused even for a second about what the main thing is. The main thing is who you are in Christ, that you are beloved, that you are adopted, that you are his child, that you are redeemed. That Christ saw you and he loved you, that he is kind, he gave his life for you, so that through your faith and repentance you might have eternal life with him. That's what we're mainly about. And then once we get that though, how do we live that out in our everyday lives? Today we're talking about intentionality in the workplace. How is one intentional when they're working, when they're at work? Many of us spend hours upon hours at work. Some of us far more than 40 hours a week working. And especially when you include things like raising children and house chores and everything else that comes with it, we're spending so much time working. And so if your spiritual life ends with that, at best, one hour quiet time in the morning, where you open your scriptures and you hear from the Lord and you pray. And then you just live the rest of your life as a functional atheist until you get to your evening prayers. Then your spiritual life is going to be rather anemic. But I believe that there is a way to weave your Christian life, this message of the gospel, through everything that you do. That's why this passage says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Most people don't have any idea how to live out their faith in the workplace. A few years ago, I was doing ministry in Brookline where I'd like, like, it was like one of those things where one time someone got sick in Brookline. Brookline's full of doctors. Someone got sick at our church one time and uh, they, like, had a, they had a seizure in the middle of our service. And someone said, is there a doctor? And half the audience stood up to go and help them. Like, that's just Brookline, uh, because it's right there next to Longwood Medical Center. And I was talking with one of the doctors there who I'm friends with, and I said, how do you live out your faith in the workplace? And they said, oh, I'm very good at that. Um, when one of my coworkers or, or, or patients says, uh, says in, a, in a profane way, the name of the Lord, says Jesus Christ, I just respond by, he's my friend. That's so awkward. 
But people don't have any idea how to live out their faith. And that's their best guess of how to live out their faith in the workplace. In secular society, it's normal to section off your faith from your work. But what if there was a way to allow the gospel of Jesus to shape the way you do your work? What if your Christianity could influence your art, business, engineering, media, or even scholarship? How do we live in a workplace as a distinctive Christian in a God-glorifying way? I have three points for us today. Uh, First point is, how much does your work matter to God? The second point is, how much does your work matter to you? And the third point is, how much does God matter to your work? How much does your work matter to God? How much does your work matter to you? And how much does God matter to your work? First, how much does your work matter to God? You might have the question, and many people have thought about this, of what type of work does God get glory in? Many people might think that pastors can be a God-glorifying type of work, while being a plumber or a carpenter is not a God-glorifying type of work. It's just a secular type of work. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, God only cares about missionaries and pastors, and he doesn't care about engineers and plumbers. This was the very attitude of the medieval era era, when the church kind of ruled the day, but it said if you wanted to do something important during the medieval time, you had to become a monk or a priest or a bishop. There was a big divide between the sacred and the secular. And Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, hated this. He said, no, there's a priesthood of every believer. That means that every believer no matter what he does for a living, is important to the kingdom of God. And so here's what Martin Luther had to say. He said, and he, he is so straightforward, he really would have fit in on Twitter quite well um, if, if there was a, a medieval times Twitter. Um, there probably is. I'm just not up with it. Um, there, this is what Martin Luther says. He says, There has been a fiction by which the pope, bishops, priests, and monks are called the spiritual estate. Princes, lords, artisans, and peasants are the temporal estate. This is an artful lie and hypocritical invention, says Martin Luther. But let no one be made afraid by it, for that, uh, and that for this reason, that all Christians are truly of the spiritual estate. And there is no difference among them, save of office. No, we are all priests, as St. Peter says. Ye are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What Luther is saying is that all work matters to God. That your jobs matter to God. All work matters to God. Oftentimes we act like if someone really loves God, that they should be in ministry that that's the best option for them. If you have a young man coming to church, he's arriving early to greet people joyfully as the Lord has greeted him. He's opening his scriptures. He's reading them with passion. He's reading through the Bible every year, if not more often than every year. This young man is devoting his life to following Jesus. Well, in many churches, we might say, I believe the Lord's calling you to minister, young man. But what about what I just described would lead you to think that the Lord's calling him to ministry? 
Is it not true that ordinary people can love the Lord like that? In fact, shouldn't we? Could the Lord not use a man in that, that sort of man in any sort of way? The church needs workers in every trade and in every craft because every work, job matters to God. In fact, work is not one of those things that happened after the fall. Work was created by God before the fall of man. Before sin entered the world, work existed. And that means, and especially when you look at different sections of the Bible, like Isaiah 65 and a few other sections, that when we get to heaven, it's a lot like creation, like Garden of Eden before the fall. And I think that the new heavens and the new earth are filled with work. It's just work without thorns and thistles. Work without frustrations. One of the first things that God does is give people a job. Verse, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, the, the male and female. And God, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the ground. And so God is calling Adam and Eve to fill the earth and subdue it, to cultivate the earth, to have dominion over it, to take the raw materials that are on the earth and to make something of them. James Davidson Hunter a sociologist at the University of Virginia, writes this. He says, in the Hebrew derivatives, the, ver- the key verbs are abad and shamar. The former can be translated as work, nurture, sustain, husband. The latter means to safeguard, preserve, care for, and protect. These are active verbs that convey God's intention that human beings both develop and cherish the world in ways that meet human needs and bring glory and honor to him. Work existed before sin, and it will exist later on, because all work is important to God. It plays a role in cultivating and subduing the earth. All work done properly is important to God. This week, Shepard and I were walking home from school. Shepard is my, uh, my first son, my middle child, and he's four, and we were walking home from preschool, and there was a garbage truck coming down the street. And Shepard said, hey, can we stop and watch this garbage truck? That's the last thing I want to do on my way home, because it stinks, it smells bad to stand and watch the garbage truck. But you know, I've never stood and watched a garbage truck like that. And these men were working, and they were actually kind, they were speaking to to Shepard and I, and I love that it was giving honor to this profession that oftentimes is just kind of ignored, but is so vitally important. These men were contributing to our society. They were building up the community. Their work allows us to continue to cultivate the the earth. It's an important work to God. Even simple work is meaningful to God. The scriptures honor simple work. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says this. He says, But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. 
He's saying, aspire to live quietly. I don't know a single soul in Boston who has aspired to live quietly. Maybe there's actually a few, but hyperbolically, no one aspires to live quietly. Boston is full of people that aspire to make a name for themselves. But he's saying, aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs and work with your hands. He's saying simple work is meaningful work. It's powerful work. It's important work. After all, God sent his own son into the world, and he did not send his own son as a general or as a king, but his own son came into the world, and what did he do for a living? He was a carpenter. Are we naive enough to think that God did not care about Jesus' work for the first, you know, 10 years of his adult life, 15 years of his adult life, and it was only the last three years that mattered? No, I believe as Jesus is sawing uh, lumber, as he's placing nails, as he's hammering them in, building things, that work is meaningful to God. And so I think some of you really need me to hear, really need to hear something from me this morning. No matter what you're doing, it matters. God sees that work, and it matters. And if you're not able to work, you matter. <laughs> that you're more than just your job. Even if you're miserable in your work, it matters. God sees it and is glorified by simple work. It reflects Him. Now, how much does your work matter to you? That's how much does, does uh, your work matter to God. Now, how much does your work matter to you? Most of us tend to oscillate between two polar extremes. On the one hand, we might obsess over our work. We might idolize our work. We might pour ourselves into it night and day. On the other hand, there are some of us who simply show up to punch the clock, put in our few hours, and get out as quick as possible so we don't have to think about it anymore. I've been in both camps before. When I was in college, I worked at this college, off-campus college bookstore. And you can imagine the crowds the first two weeks of school. There was just so many people coming to get their textbooks. But then after those first two weeks, it was the most boring place to be in the entire town. I remember working the evening shift at 8 p.m. We had not, I had not seen a soul in like two or three hours. And I, I fell asleep right there. No one knew. This is my confession. I'm coming out now, letting you know. I fell asleep. It didn't matter. I was just there to make a few bucks. But typically, I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I'm someone who idolizes my work and who kind of finds his identity in his work oftentimes. Not only that, but when I feel anxious, I just work more. Like this past week, um, it's, it's, it's 9.30 p.m. That's time to go to bed in my home, okay? That's, we've got a newborn. It's time to go to sleep. And I'm feeling anxious. I didn't, didn't even realize I was feeling anxious, but I open my computer to start balancing our, our checking account because I just feel like I have to knock off one more thing. I have to check off one more list, so, something else. I just got to check it off. So I check in on my checking account. And my wife is like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just, I just need to do something before I go to bed. And she's, why? Why? What's, what's going to matter? 
And it's because I was feeling anxious. And, I, and my anxiety drives me to this defense mechanism that says, I have to produce, I have to do more. Are you one of these people who idolizes over their work and has a hard time turning it off? As I get ready for this five-week sabbatical, I'm trying to process through this. How am I going to turn it off? How am I going to Sabbath? In my overwork, I am forgetting the gospel, though. That I am not significant based upon what I accomplish or what significance I earn, but I am significant because of what Christ has done for me. That he has given up his life for me and given me the significance that I so desire. There's one verse that helps us both when we overemphasize and underemphasize our work, and that's this scripture that we're reading through today, where he says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for the men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, if you're working for the Lord and not, your men, not for men, then you're going to give your all. If you work for the Lord and not for men, you're going to give it all. If you work for your boss, you might say, my boss deserves this kind of work. My boss is a jerk. I'm only going to give him work that a jerk deserves. But if you're working for the Lord... He deserves it all. He deserves everything you've got to be poured into your job. Not because you're trying to earn your approval from him, as you might try to earn your approval from your boss, but because he's given you approval. Have you ever had a boss say, you're doing a great job. I'm so pleased with your work. Does that make you want to work less hard or more hard? It makes you want to work harder because, because you're being honored and you're accepted, and you're loved. This is the kind of love that God gives us. And this isn't just in our job. It says, whatever you do, work heartily. Friends, if you volunteer to work uh, a volunteer job of coaching a, a little league soccer team, give it all you've got. Show up like you're getting paid. Act like you're getting paid. Act like God's your boss. Work heartily. As for the Lord in whatever you do, just a basic principle. Christians don't give half-hearted efforts. Christians don't give half-hearted efforts. We give our whole heart to whatever we do as if the Lord is our boss. Now, at the same time, Christians don't define themselves based upon what they produce. So you give your whole heart to it, but then if you epically fail, you are accepted and loved. Isn't that refreshing that you can give everything to something and yet you're not expected to knock it out of the park every time because you are a royal screw-up and so am I and you can get in on this life with Christ that says royal screw-ups can be accepted and loved. And we do all of this with the promise of great reward. We're not working only for earthly wages but we have this internal, eternal inheritance. Friends, working for the Lord kills your idolatry of work. It does. Because if you work for the Lord, you're going to recognize that when you're overworking and trying to prove yourself and giving 
13 hours a day to your job, that the Lord is not satisfied in that. The Lord, if he was there with you, if you finish your work day and you say, God, did I do it all for you today? And he's going to look at it and be like, you worked 13 hours. You don't know how to stop. You don't know your limitations. Do you not know how much I care for you? There's times where our overwork, we might say we're giving our whole heart to it, but really we're trying to prove something. We're not working for the Lord. We're working for man. So you have to assess your own heart. Some of us, when I say work for the Lord, not for man, it means you've got to work harder. And for others of us, when I say work for the Lord, not for man, it means you have to work less hard because you're trying to prove yourself to man. As Christians, we get this unique position where we can say work is important, but it's not ultimate. Our city tends to idolize work, but we can't do that. We know that our work matters to God. Now, uh, point three, our work matters to God. How much should our work matter to God? How much should our work matter to us? Point three, how much does God matter to your work? How much does God matter to your work? What does it mean to integrate your faith and your work? How do you act uniquely as a Christian in whatever workplace you're in? Let me just throw a hypothetical out there. Say you're a plumber and you're a Christian plumber. And what makes a Christian plumber different from an atheist plumber? Is there a different way you can put together the pipes in a God-glorifying way? No, not really. As long as you're doing your best, there's lots of atheist plumbers out there, I assume. I don't know that I know any. But I assume there's lots of atheist plumbers out there who do just as good a job plumbing as what a Christian plumber could possibly do. So how can you live out your faith in the workplace? If a lot of times what we're doing each and every day is the same as what other people would be doing. Let me just give you a few different ways. First, and then I'll, I'll, land, the, I'll land this plane, okay? A few different ways for you to live out your faith at work. First, consider the purpose of your work. Consider the purpose of your work. Three weeks ago, I took a flight to Louisville to... to participate in my doctoral graduation ceremony, which was uh, enjoyable. It was great. Um, it was my, the first plane I'd been on since January 2020, and it was a little different getting on the airplane, and, you know, everybody's wearing masks and everything that goes with it, and, and I see a guy get on my first plane from Boston to Baltimore, where I was laying over. I was flying southwest, and I'm like, that guy looks familiar, and so he's walking by me on the next plane going to Louisville from Baltimore, and I look up, and I'm just like, you look like someone I know. Even though you're wearing a mask, you look familiar. And he says, Fletcher? And he sits down, and it's this old friend that I had named Jason uh, from Louisville. And I start talking to him, and I ask him, uh, what are you doing now? I haven't seen you in like 12 years. Like, he's like, oh, I'm doing the same thing. I just don't, didn't talk about it much in, in Louisville. I um, am one of the principals at this values-based uh, mutual fund in Boston called Eventide. Uh, which is a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool gig. As I was telling him about, as he was telling me more about it, it's like a Christian-based mutual fund uh, that, that's headquartered here. And he was telling me just about the businesses that they invest in and the reason why they invest in different businesses and not others. And he pointed me to an article he wrote for the Green Money Journal that talks about aligning faith and finances. And I, I think that just, I'm going to read a portion of this. I think it's just fantastic 
thinking about um, applying your faith to the workplace. He says this, consider this for business. If we say that the profit of business is, is, if we say that the purpose of business is profit, then a good business is one that makes profit, and a bad business is one that does not. If any business that makes a profit is a good business, then it doesn't matter what they do. Let a thousand flowers bloom. Many businesses under the banner of profit have felt, have felt perfectly fine, for example, creating products or services that prey on human weakness. We can't object and say business ought not to do this or that business ought not to do that in the case of, the, of, pur- of purpose that is defines the ought. Without an alternative purpose for business, we have no basis to critique businesses. More more deleterious examples, sorry, I don't know that word. That popped up there. Or to orient business otherwise. For Christians, the belief that business is just about money is not just distasteful, but patently false. Christians believe work itself and all human working including a business, has a God-given specific design. So what he's saying in this article um, is you can work for a business, and if your only purpose is profit, then you can excuse a lot of questionable tactics to earning a profit. But if you have a purpose that's greater than profit, and that is to do good, then you're motives and your behaviors in that business the things that you do must change and so with your work you should really analyze your work what is the purpose of my work i think that's just a quiet question that you might need to write down what is the purpose of my work i am studying public health at at school what is the purpose of my work what good thing does this support i am a plumber. What good thing does this support? I am an artist. What good does this support? I work in this business that makes trinkets. What good does this support? Consider it. And if you say, my business, my job is really just all about profit, and it uses questionable means to achieve that profit, and it does not actually accomplish good, then I would advise you, if you're able, to find a new job. Because you're giving your life to this thing. I would also love to process that. That's one of those things that, if you, come, if you have questions to me about how to read the Bible, I can answer those all day long. I can give you specific examples of how to read it, specific instruction on how to do that. If you come to me and you say, hey, I'm an engineer. I work for this company. How do I, how do, I do this in a God-given way? I'm going I'm to have to brainstorm with you. Because we're on equal footing on that. We're going to need to think through it. So let a few people into that. I'm trying to process my work. How does this do good? How does this contribute to society? How is God glorified in this? The second way that you can glorify God in your work or integrate your faith into your work is practicing integrity. There are a lot of things that may potentially be legal that are not necessarily ethical. I was reading a story the other day of a pastor in in Nashville named Scott Sauls who... um, who was told a story of a man in his church who was a lawyer and was asked to fudge the numbers on one of his client's finances. And he refused. 
and he was subsequently fired. And then he, his, his previous boss called all the other law firms in town and said, don't hire this man. And so he went without a job for two years. And at the end of those two years, or somewhere in those two years, uh, the, the pastor that I mentioned said, jo- jokingly, don't you wish you had a can of gasoline to go visit your, your old employer's uh, building? And the, the man just responded, no retribution. No retribution. As believers, we do not get revenge. But you see how he's living in an ethical way, keeping his word, even when it means consequences. We practice integrity. And the third thing that I want to emphasize here is that we practice Sabbath. We need time off. We need to rest. We need to embrace our limitations and communicate those to our employers. Your soul needs those times to be still and to rest and to know that his work is completed for you. I'm not such a strict Sabbatarian to where I'm like, you need to take 24 hours off, these 24 hours each week. But I'm going to tell you that you've got to take time off. God is not glorified when you're burning both ends of the candle on this. I'm going to end with this quote from Tim Keller, who he wraps this up quite well. He says, he says this, Christian medical professionals will soon see that some practices make money for them, but don't add values to patients' lives. Christians in marketing will discern accepted patterns of communication that distort reality, manipulate emotions, or play to the worst aspects of the human heart. Christians in business will often discern a a bias to seek short-term financial profit at the expense of the company's long-term health or to to adopt practices that put financial profit ahead of the good of employees, customers, and others in the community. Christians in the arts live and work in a culture in which narcissistic self-expression can become the ultimate end. And in most vocational, vocational fields, believers encounter workplaces in which ruthless competitive behavior is the norm. A Christian worldview provides believers with ways to interpret the philosophies and practices that dominate their field and, be, and bring renewal and reform to them. And so friends, as I close things today, let me remind you, your work matters to the Lord that we're to work heartily for him, but we're always to do that out of a heart that's been accepted, even though we're, we're sinners. While we were still enemies, Christ gave himself for us, and he loved us in that way. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a CEO, a plumber or an engineer, your, matter work, your, your work matters to God. But your work is not ultimate. Christ's work is ultimate. And each week we participate in a sacred meal to remind ourselves of Christ's work on our behalf, that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. Let's stand, clean off our hands, and and respond to God in a song. Let me pray for, for us. Father, as we come to your table now, help us to be reminded of the joys of Christ. Help us to be reminded of your deep sacrifice the way that while we were still your enemies, you died for us, that you paid your way for us, paid the way for us. And so Christ, as we come to this table, give us hearts of faith. Help us to integrate this faith into our workplace. Give us a rest from our ceaseless work. 
but also help us to work heartily as for you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.